passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. When Ryan's when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting the 18 that makes sense of these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Wade take the mic. Hello, everybody. Welcome to rewind a raw. Wait, I think the show's going to go long. Uh, you think so? Okay. All right. Preparing myself. That is my hunch. How are you? How was your weekend? My weekend was good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm tired. Not going to lie. So this That's one, okay. this one was a bit of a tougher one. Um, but, uh, my weekend was good. How was yours? Uh, it was, it was well, I really was a mess on Sunday. So for UFC on Saturday night, uh, I was home by myself watching the pay-per-view. And I decided, you know what? I could run out to go buy a coffee. Or I could make coffee. <laughs> so, dude, during that pay-per-view, I had the prelim started at 7 p.m. I'd say I had like a coffee during the prelims. And then right before the main event, <laughs> at like one in the morning, dude, I decided, let's have another one. The worst idea. The absolute worst idea. No, no. I am someone that is pretty impervious. I, I've mentioned before, Starbucks will mess me up if I have it late. But any other coffee, I am not one that gets, like, I can't sleep afterwards. That's never a problem for me. So I figured, whatever, I've, I'm going to have this now. Main event's probably going to go five rounds, which it did. And then I got to record the show, and then I got to post it after. I'm going to be up for hours at this point. So we finished our show, uploaded it. I went to sleep around 3.30, 4. Dude, I'm telling you, if I had to get up and run a marathon, it would not have been a chore. I had, I just slept terribly. 
it was the worst idea having this coffee. And it kicked my ass for the entire day on Sunday. I was just a wreck on Sunday. I totally get the feeling. That's, that's sort of the evening I had last night. So um, it sucks when you can't go to sleep. Um, so coffee that late, bad idea. Uh, well, now you know better for next time. I do know better for next time. So tonight's Rewinder Raw on my side brought to you by Water. Uh, quickly, did you see the fight on Saturday, the main event? I did watch it. Yeah, yeah. What did you think? I imagine you scored it for for Stipe. What did you What did you think about Cormier's performance? Yeah, honestly, um, I don't have much to add. You know, beyond what you and Phil had already pointed out, and really plenty of others have pointed out. I mean, uh, I poke very unfortunate. Um, seemed like that was like maybe the more uh, the most memorable thing coming out of that fight. Uh, but beyond that, I felt like it was a uh, a match I, I probably would have scored for Stipe regardless. Have you ever been poked in the eye in jiu-jitsu or anything? Um, not like that, no. Uh, that that looked like really severe and incredibly scary to hear a man say, I, I, I see black coming yeah. out of one eye uh, and having to continue to fight after that. It's, um, it, it was pretty- like Really, the fight should have been stopped after three rounds, but people would have been livid with that, but that would have been the right call to make. I'm surprised mm-hmm. that... The fact that Cormier said that, that we're in this empty, semi-empty arena, that more people didn't hear that. Like, I can't see is the universal sign, fight's over. And I'm just surprised no one of note heard that, that maybe would have stepped in to check. Um, I have been poked in the eye once. Nothing to the extent that Daniel Cormier was, but when you felt a person's finger go inside, it is a feeling you'll never forget. It's awful. It's just terrible. You ever have steel steps shoved in your eye? I've never had that. No, that was uh, that's probably a purple belt level, but at the white belt level, it can be a little rowdy. And fingers have gone into eyes, and I have uh, been like bloodshot after. Not good stuff. But like, um, uh, like, why is it why is it taking so long for them to remedy this issue? Um, I know like people like Trevor Whitman have like tried developing new forms of gloves. Why why is this still a problem? Well, in Bellator, they have started to use like different gloves. And one of the issues with uh, John McCarthy's talked about this is that the UFC gloves, it's almost in such a way like the the, the way the gloves are, are designed, it's the natural way is for your fingers to be straight. Like you have to actively like clench your fist to prevent them. Like the natural way the gloves maneuver your fingers are your fingers are out. And, you know, he's called for. You know, it's going to take someone like the UFC that wants new gloves and then manufacturers are going to try and design newer gloves or, or different versions. But we always hear this every now and then when there's a brutal eye poke of adjusting the gloves. And you'll see some critics saying like, you know, just, you know, make gloves that are going to uh, harness the fingers like that does not work in a sport where grappling is such a key component. But I, I think that enough have happened that. I, w- I would like to see, you know, some variations and we've seen some other companies try it, but the UFC is going to be the one that is going to steer that change. I would, I would like to see them kind of look into that because it's happened, it's happened way too often. And there's, there's going to be some horrible um, injuries that come out of it. There already has been. Th- this yeah. feud is evidence of it. Like Stipe tore his retina. Yeah. And that was one of the reasons he's been off for all of this time. Like, Michael like Daniel... Michael Bisping is, is, you know, look at, um, uh, there's, like, there, there's so many, 
uh, of just graphic, graphic eye pokes. And in this fight, uh, both guys got poked in the eyes. It was very scary with Stipe knowing the problems that he had had. And you, you saw that replay and it was brutal. And then the Stipe one was even worse later in the third round. Um, if you want to go check out our UFC uh, 252 post show, it is up. Uh, the video version is up on YouTube if you go subscribe to the Post Wrestling channel. And we will get into everything that is coming up this week uh, a little later on before we tackle the Raw review. Uh, one of our busier weeks coming up. I feel we say that every week, but this one is especially heavy. Uh, definitely. This is SummerSlam week, everybody. So um, our coverage, I think, will reflect that. Um, and also a bit of a change as far as Dynamite goes. But starting tomorrow, we have our latest Rewind Away on our Patreon feed. Uh, this one was up to a patron's choice. And you guys have chosen Royal Rumble 2001. So we'll be traveling back to that year. A very well-remembered show, I would say, leading up to WrestleMania 17. And John and I will be breaking that one down starting tomorrow. Yeah. Well, why don't we just quickly go through things? So after the Royal Rumble 2001 review on Tuesday, Wednesday will belong to Braden and Davey. They will have a new edition of Up Next. And Rewind to Dynamite will be going on Saturday night instead of Wednesday because Dynamite is going to be airing on Saturday. So we will have a show up on Saturday, uh, the same night that Braden and Davey will be doing a takeover post show after the event from Full Sail. Thursday, it's the return of Benno. He'll be with Martin Bushby chatting uh, the British wrestling experience, and they're going to be joined by guest John Lister to talk about the passing of Mark Rollerball Rocco and catching up on a lot of news over the past month, including uh, various responses from companies in light of the speaking out movement and uh, progress and other companies going up on the WWE Network. Uh, they'll be tackling all of that stuff Thursday, uh, so look forward to that. Then on Friday, Way and I begin our first of like 8,000 straight nights of shows together. We will be doing Rewind to SmackDown live at 10.15 p.m. Eastern time for all patrons. And this Friday, uh, we will be doing it from the post-Thunderdome. Oh, man, that's right. The post-wrestling Thunderdome, which, um, which is... Um... We're going to have virtual callers, and we're going to have... Um, it's only audio, so take our word for it that... We'll have lasers. We're going to have pyro. We're going to... Uh, how many LED boards have you installed in your house? About 10,000. Wow. I've done... Uh, I'm, I'm at half. So we should have a multitude of LED boards. Uh, that should be uh, a lot of fun. So Friday night, rewind to SmackDown Live for all patrons as we tee up uh, the entire weekend uh, that will feature uh, our two shows coming up on Saturday night with the TakeOver Post Show and Rewind to Dynamite. Sunday night, it is the SummerSlam post show. Way and I will be live for our double-double ice cap and espresso patrons immediately after the pay-per-view concludes. So uh, tune in right afterwards, and we'll run down the show. Take your phone calls with reaction to SummerSlam and talk about whatever else is uh, coming out of SummerSlam. And Brayden and Davey also have a lot uh, coming up this week. They will be doing a uh, the TakeOver post show on Saturday night. They're also going to be doing a... SummerSlam tailgate party on Zoom on Sunday for patrons at patreon.com slash up next. I don't know what a tailgate party looks like on Zoom, but I'm certain that they will have it figured out on, on Sunday. So what, what better way to get ready for SummerSlam than tailgating on a laptop? Uh, I can't think of a better way. I mean, you'll be enjoying it from the virtual Thunderdome. So why not virtually tailgate with these guys? 
Yes. And they'll also be doing uh, watch-alongs for both TakeOver and SummerSlam at YouTube.com slash UpNext. So support our good friends. Let's go into the news. Uh, This was a frightening story over the weekend. Um, A suspect, 24-year-old Philip Thomas, uh, has been arrested after he had entered a home uh, in Florida belonging to Daria Baronado, a.k.a. Sonia DeVille. And um, the story uh, is that, you know, he had parked his car and then made his way over to this residence. um, And he had cut through the screen door. And I guess he had been um, outside or in this area for several hours. And then when they went to sleep, uh, this was uh, Daria and a guest uh, she was with. They go to sleep around 2.43 in the morning and he entered the home and triggered a a house alarm. And uh, Daria and the guest were able to get out of the house, called 911, who were there promptly and arrested this guy who was found with a knife, zip ties, duct tape, mace, and apparently had told the officers he was planning to take the homeowner hostage. Uh, he's facing charges of aggravated stalking, armed burglary of a dwelling, attempted armed kidnapping, and criminal mischief. He will be having a hearing on Thursday afternoon, and the sheriff uh just stated that our deputies are unveiling the suspect's disturbing obsession with this homeowner who he had never met but stalked on social media for years. It's frightening to think of all the ways this incident could have played out had the home alarm not gone off and alerted the homeowner of an intruder. Our deputies arrived within minutes and arrested this man who was clearly on a mission to inflict harm. Uh, this is a harrowing story way. It could have been so much worse. This is uh, – I, I was just – I shouldn't say stunned, maybe, but I was. Oh, I was. I mean, I was absolutely stunned. And certainly, like, we... That people we, like this exist. I would say, like, it's... Like, you'd have to be naive that there's not stalkers and people at this level. But the... It's just... Like, you look online and you assume that there is kind of this this barrier between Twitter and real life. But have to remind ourselves that with celebrities, there's times that that is crossed and there are people that are going to take serious, harmful action. And that's clearly uh, what this individual was, was planning to set out to do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I, it, 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 it's shocking whenever you hear about stories like this and, and, and um, it's the worst part is I don't know what we can do to prevent it in the future. Cause you're always going to have like crazies like this, like do shit like that. I feel like, you know, I, I look at a situation like this and I think about what my responsibility is, how I might be able to, like, contribute to lessen, like, you know, um, uh, what, whatever exists out there. And and to me, like, what's something this illuminates is the fact that, you know, in particular, like, celebrities, in particular, female celebrities, I, I imagined encounter this shit at this level way beyond, um, you know... What you and I, of course, can can never understand, John. But you know, males alone. Oh, can, on a daily understand. basis online, like the harassment that I, I think, especially like males too, but especially females must endure, is probably nothing we can wrap our head around. And this makes it that much more frightening that the harassment you deal with online, there is still the ability to log off and almost dismiss it, but having to know that th- there's the possibility of this occurring. And had this alarm not gone off. God knows how much worse this story could have ended up. You know, but even like something like that, like it's really sad. But like, I don't. I I imagine something like this is going to 
even though they caught this person, something like this might affect Sonia Deville, uh, Daria Bernardo for quite some time afterwards. Just the psychological effect, I, can't, I really can't imagine. And I feel terrible for her as well as her guest. Um, so, I mean, you know, I, I feel like what I might be able to offer at a time like this is just to like encourage all of us to have a bit more sympathy for all the people that we treat online, um, show, show respect, you know, and if you see this type of bullying or some type of like shitty behavior that's going on, let's do our best to discourage it. I mean, we're very, the internet seems to be really good at, you know, uh, trying to uh, police and enforce itself. And sometimes that is absolutely necessary and used to really great effect. So you know, it's let's have some sympathy for the people that are out there putting themselves out there in in uh, uh, in the public eye. Yeah, I mean, it's just I mean, the guy found her house. You know, like how insane is that? It's honestly today these days like not that insane. Um, you know, people are more public than ever, and that's uh, for, honestly um, sometimes it's it's really scary. Um, uh, but sometimes it's just part of like the the industry that I think we've they we've come to develop. Like social media these days demands more and more and more of the personal lives of, of the celebrities that are you know uh, put out there. Um, so I don't know how this person would have got that information, um, but I I imagine it's like if you dig hard enough, you could probably find like a whole lot of stuff on the internet if you really wanted to. So it, it is very scary and protect yourselves. Yeah, I mean, um, Sonia Deville, she did put out just a brief statement thanking the uh, the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office, and I mean, you would think that this would be extremely um, rattling uh, to deal with. On the other hand, maybe the idea of having shows this week is a good, healthy distraction to not just um, be in your head dealing with something like this. Um, I don't know. I don't know what the... Uh, best solution is but this was a harrowing experience to uh, read about uh, much less uh, for someone to have to go through so hopefully she is doing okay uh, recovering from this um, Brent Brookhouse at CBS Sports interviewed Paul Levesque and um, they brought up the Velveteen Dream returning to TV last week and Paul Levesque stated that the reason he was off TV it was not because of the allegations that had been made against him but it was a car accident that he had been in uh, at the end of June. And that's the reason he was off. He did the backlot brawl with Adam Cole, which aired at the beginning of June, June 7th, uh, on the takeover special, and then reportedly was in that car accident near the end of June. And stated that, um, you know, he said, in this day today, accusations are made and you take them all very seriously. You look into them the best you can and you find out what is there and what isn't. In this situation, Clark was also involved in a car accident. That's what took him off TV. In the moment, all this other stuff happens, and you look into it, and you find that there is a situation that people bring to everyone's attention. You look into it and find that it is what it is, and there's nothing there. Everything that we have done, we are comfortable with him continuing to do what he does and everything else. But he had a car accident. It stemmed down to people thought we removed him from TV for different reasons. We did not. He was in a car accident. Um, so, I mean... It, not exactly being transparent about what they looked into or what their findings were, but just stating there was nothing there and they're comfortable using him. And I would imagine this is the extent that we are going to see the WWE comment on this, but this is not, this is not information they are volunteering uh, when, you know, they look into a situation. It is, you know, in an interview setting uh, that Paul Levesque spoke about this. And I'm, I'm curious if it comes up in, 
any other interviews or if Patrick Clark himself addresses this. Like I would I would think that if there's nothing there, he would he would want to comment on that and make that known. I'm not sure or, or it could be a case of, you know, um saying Being anything. Being advised not to speak. Yeah, yeah. So um it, you know, that's that seems to be um the statement that the company is is uh releasing right now. Um I honestly have no idea really what, what to make of it. Um Yeah, yeah. It's it's just it's a bizarre situation. Um and I don't know. I I really don't know. Yeah, I think that's the extent of which they're going to uh, go with it. And if, um, if if there's anything anything further into it, uh, all Patrick Clark had stated was uh, the initial uh, series of allegations that were made back in April uh, was that he denied them and that there was a third party investigation. But I mean, he has not commented on them since that, and that was in April. Um, WWE's big news of the day was the announcement of the Thunderdome. A state-of-the-art set with video boards, pyrotechnics, lasers, cutting-edge graphics, and drone cameras way. They're going to take the WWE fans' viewing experience to an unprecedented level uh, starting this Friday on Fox, kicking off SummerSlam weekend. So this will be, uh, of course, stationed in the Amway Center, um, where they are set up for at least the next two months. Uh, Jeff Allen of News 13 in Florida reporting that the uh, WWE... Uh, is paying about $450,000 for these two months. Uh, so that is a bargain for WWE to be taping that much television um, in this uh, major arena. Um, and this will be the new home for SmackDown and Raw. NXT will continue to be at Full Sail University, including TakeOver on Saturday. And uh, Kevin Dunn also did uh, an interview with SI.com talking a bit more about this. And... You know, he he talked about uh, kind of just the uh, thousand LED boards that they'll have. I mean, way as ten thousand, so I mean that's they're they're on their way to uh, post wrestling levels. And says that the atmosphere will be night and day from the performance center. This is going to let us have a WrestleMania level production value, and that's what our audience expects from us. Uh, we're also going to put arena audio into the broadcast, similar to baseball, but our audio will be mixed with the virtual fans. So when fans start chants, we will hear them. Um, he also talked about the fact, you know, they weren't, uh, he admitted like the shows at the performance center, they weren't exactly, you know, what they, they weren't, you know, over the moon with them. They understood the limitations without having fans. So this is as much of a draw for uh, SmackDown and SummerSlam this weekend, I think it's people curious to see how this comes off, uh, especially for SmackDown, which will be our, our first eyes on this Thunderdome, which I mean, and right down to WWE and their love of capitalizing that middle letter. Oh yes, that's right. Yes. So Thunderdome one word, but the D is capitalized. Well, yes, because we're get it's Thunderdome leading into SummerSlam by watching SmackDown. <laughs> Very good. Uh, I'm so excited for this thing. Um, the way they they hyped this up, you know, giving it a name even, and the way Kevin Dunn talked to, talked this up uh, for a production nerd like me, I'm really curious to see what they're doing. It seems to me like this is like WWE. You know, they they very much, of course, they never saw production, so they had to take the first steps in trying to you know create an empty arena setting. Um, and the performance center is ultimately what we got. Now, things like Major League Baseball have come back. Uh, you know, the NBA and the NHL have all come back. 
seems like WWE has taken a look at what they've done and they've started, you know, this is, this feels like their attempt to really capitalize and adopt some of those technologies into what they can do. Um, so these virtual LED boards with the virtual um, fans, um, it's, it's, it sounds exactly like uh, what the NBA is doing, but it also seems like rather than, you know, just having one full screen of a bunch of fans, it sounds like what they're doing is actually like filling each like, like rows of seats with these boards to create like yeah. an actual in arena, like something that is actually the scope of arena and like the depth of an arena uh, yeah. with individual fans, which I sounds incredibly exciting. And um, I'd love to. And let's be honest. This is like, this is WWE's sweet spot. Like mm-hmm. this, if you're going to have confidence in a, uh, a production outlet, it's, it's WWE like this to me, I, I expect it's going to be, it look incredible on Friday. Yeah, you know, it, like we say that, of course, and and it certainly is the case. You look at WrestleMania and the production like that, and it really is like incredible. Um, you know, and that's the level of expectation they're selling you on. Yeah, but then they'll do shit like the shaky cam that just like boggles the mind. You know how you can go from like world class like production like you would see at a WrestleMania to just like. The most terrible, like amateur filmmaking types of decisions that you could possibly make. So we shall see where this exists. I mean, just judging by Kevin Dunn's uh, interview, I have a lot, a lot of confidence. It also tells me that I feel like they are putting a lot more stock into the setting of the arena for you know their their ratings woes than I think perhaps they should, because um, you know there's certainly going to be curiosity these first few weeks. But as if, if the show is still bad. Uh, we're just going to be in the same spot. Oh, th- this is a one to two week novelty in terms of like, it might be down to one show on SmackDown. That's going to have the curiosity eyes on it. And beyond that, I mean, it's, it's just going to become the show and th- it's not going to be setting yourself apart. I- I've said it before. And I don't, I don't feel going live. They're going to be live Fridays and Mondays. I think that makes zero difference. Um, but I think there will be curiosity on Friday. And to this point way, Given the fact that they were so heavily promoting this and maybe the idea that industry people might be tuning in on Fox Friday night to watch this, do you see them going a little less in on some of like the mics cutting out, the 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 lights flickering? Or do you feel that just because it's they are catering this very much to uh, the broadcasting industry that are tuning in to look at look at our our shiny toys here. Do we want to be doing this story where our our production is uh, looking all haphazard? It's an interesting thought because they're certainly in the middle of this the storyline that calls for a number of technical problems. Yet at the same time, they are in a week where they have to debut and show off like their heaviest, you know, their biggest muscles in in in, in TV production. So how do you find that balance? Because of like this, the the grandeur of this story, I you know I mean look at what we saw today. I feel like they will still continue, and there will still be elements of the show that you know will reflect like, oh my god, uh, LED board number five is malfunctioning. You know maybe something like that. I don't know. They were there definitely. I think will be ways that you will see retribution affect and fuck with the, this show while still overall you know trying to impress the world. We'll cut to Michael Cole, who will inform us to non-wrestling fans. This is all part of the show. Uh, This is how good we are to make it look like we're out of control. This is how we're doing all of this. Um, And this SmackDown on Friday, which is all built around the Thunderdome, uh, 
they are going to be coming off uh, what was one of the better SmackDown numbers in quite a bit. They topped 2 million viewers on Friday, uh, just over that mark, uh, which would be their highest viewership number since June 26. And they did a 0.6 in the 18 to 49 demo, their highest since April 17th. Uh, they were number one for the night in 18 to 49s and 18 to 34s. So uh, for Friday, um, that was, you know, a very good number by, well, I will say by SmackDown standards today, maybe six months ago, this wouldn't have been a cause for celebration. Uh, but today, 2 million viewers and a point six, they'll take it. What would you attribute it to? Obviously, Retribution. I mean, not too much was promoted last week going into the show. It was Braun confronting Bray and... What else did we have? Mm, uh, the Alexa Bliss interview? Yeah. Um, what was it? We had a match. Um, geez, it wasn't that long ago. They, oh, <laughs> the, the triple brand battle royal was promoted. That's right. Yes. Yeah. That was promoted ahead of time. So, uh, Joseph Park. I mean, I think that's the reason right there. But no, well, but maybe he's going to come out on Friday with all the statistics from the prior week. Oh, okay. No, but seriously, uh, how much of a uh, of an effect on the ratings do you think this retribution storyline has had? Um, I. Th- it is a dominant thing on these shows. Yeah, I mean it is like, and it, that has correlated with SmackDown doing you know decent the last few weeks. So I, I think you have to give uh, some, um, you know, curiosity viewing to retribution. Like you do have at the core of it, it's this mystery of who these people are. And promoting like a chaotic takeover of sorts, and I, I would give some credence to to retribution. I think you have to. Yeah, I would think so too. So uh, I I definitely see it continuing. All right, moving on. We um, uh, a news that uh, just broke on Sunday night was uh, the passing of uh, John Bedoya, who was uh, Ring of Honor champion Xavier back in their early days. He was their second champion. Uh, defeating Loki in September of 2002. He held the title until March of the following year when he lost it to Samoa Joe, uh, kicking off his big title reign. And Xavier had been a staple on the Northeast scene. He had been trained by uh, Tony DeVito and worked uh, a number of promotions uh, throughout the the Northeast. And, you know, very well known for his feud with with Loki. Uh, There was a ladder match that the two of them had in June of 2001 that was... um, uh, a heavily circulated uh, ladder match. And the one that Gabe Sapolsky stated was uh, a part, part of what inspired them to give birth to ring of honor the next year. Um, you know, he, he worked with like, you know, homicide, amazing red um, did a lot of, of undercard matches for at WWF tapings, whether it be for tapings of velocity or jacked, um, stuck around with Ring of Honor after the the title loss in 2003. He had been part of the Prophecy and then later the Embassy and then kind of stopped with Ring of Honor uh, after 2004. He came back for a few spots in uh, years later. But then in 2009, he transitioned and was training heavily in mixed martial arts. And it was interesting because just a couple of months ago, he was supposed to come back for that past versus present show to do a match with Jay Lethal. So uh, we don't have any details about his uh, cause of death, but he was 42 years old. So um, that was an unfortunate story over the weekend and someone that, yeah, we, you know, we were supposed to see come back and do that show. And that was the weekend after everything shut down, like the, the Rudy Gobert, that's, 
like my marker in, in March happened on that Wednesday and that Vegas show was supposed to happen that weekend. Yeah, incredibly, incredibly um tragic story. I mean, somebody who is incredibly young. Um I um you know, I I, I feel like I missed pretty much like you know, his entire run, unfortunately. So I was looking forward to seeing like what he would have looked like uh at this point in time. Um really unfortunate. Um and I you know, I I I don't know if we'll hear about the cause of death. I mean, maybe we'll, maybe we won't. Um, but either way, it's incredibly sad. Yeah. And he was someone like over the years, I think uh, a lot of fans gained more of an appreciation for him. Like certainly like he had a lot of buzz on him before Ring of Honor. But for that fan base, you know, Xavier wasn't their idea of the guy who should be the world champion and especially following Loki. I mean, he was kind of in that spot before Loki or after Loki and before Joe. And, you know, he, you know, there was a, a segment of the ROH fan base that really weren't into him as world champion, but you, you certainly saw over uh, later years where people went back and I, I think had more of an appreciation for him. And that was, uh, you know, that, that was certainly brought up on, on Sunday night by people looking back at the, a guy who maybe didn't always get a, a fair shake from the fan base. So uh, rest in peace to to him and uh, and our condolences. New Japan has revealed the stipulations for this King of Pro Wrestling debacle that is uh, coming up next week with our four opening round matches that will lead to the four-way at Jingu Stadium for the King of Pro Wrestling crown. So... Kazuchiko Okada and Yujiro, we've gone over this. Uh, these are all going to be voted on on Twitter, way where everything will be decided. Okada is angling for a three-on-one handicap match with Yujiro, Ghetto, and Jado, while Yujiro wants the Lumberjack strap match. Sho and Sonata pick the same sub- uh, submission stipulation, so it is not going to go to a vote. They will have a submission match because both men selected the same idea. Then we get into the real, quote-unquote, creative ones. Toru Yano versus Bushi. If Yano's stipulation gets voted, that means that Bushi, he's saying that Bushi can't even pin him with a two count. So Yano's stipulation is that he can lose with a two count. Bushi's option is that Yano can lose if he's on the floor for the count of five instead of a 20 count. So those two Particular stipulations only apply for the opponent or, or for both men? Yes. they. It's one or the other. Yeah. So for the other person, it's a regular match? Uh, I believe so. That's super weird. It's weird either way, but okay. All of this is weird. Satoshi Kojima and El Desperado. Kojima's option is that the only way to win is for one of them to use their finisher. So Kojima can only win with the Lariat and Desperado can only win with the Pinche Loco. If Desperado wins the vote, then both finishers are banned from the match. Yeah, so they can't. So somebody, if they use, like if, if Kojima uses the Lariat or, or, the, or uh, he uses he the He will Pinche lose Loco. by disqualification and Desperado will advance. Okay. I, um, I'm... Not a fan of this at all, but I think we always have to reserve judgment till we see it in execution. But I, I just think this is the complete polar opposite of what people want out of New Japan in 2020. Yeah, there's that. I mean, there's the idea that I, I, I definitely was like giving this a chance, and I'm still going to give it a chance. But 
you know, at the very least, I think I would have expected stipulations that were a bit more straightforward and, if anything, a bit more enticing. Now, the promise of a show and Sonata submission match, I think that's great. Like that is, to but me that's the, the one that doesn't even adhere to the like. You're not even voting. They just made a submission match, yeah. and it's the one that I'm most looking forward to as well. For sure, for sure. Um, it's almost like those two. I mean, I don't. Ultimately, I don't know who gets to choose these stipulations. I don't know if it's Gato choosing or if it's the the wrestlers themselves. But you almost get the sense like that one was like, "Fuck this! This is stupid." Well, let's just go with the <laughs> submission thing. You agree with that? Okay, yeah, let's do it. Let's avoid this bullshit. So the other thing is that these guys will know what the stipulation is prior to the match. Yeah, the, these be. these polls uh, close in like uh, by, by the end of the week. So they're going to know them several days in advance and they happen on a week from Wednesday. Right. OK, so, uh, you know, we'll see what the audience's, um, you know, um, desires are. Are they going to like, honestly, these are all really stupid stipulations anyway. I, I don't, for the most part, want to see one over the other. Um, and. You know, I'm not really going to get a sense of, uh, I, I suppose, of like whether the audience wants the more like straight up stipulation or like the more ridiculous stipulation. Um, but anyway, if it's you know, if 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 there's somebody who's going to make a three on one handicap match work, you you would definitely put a lot of faith in Kazuchika Okada. Okay, and the final story, uh, we go to MMA way. Your favorite subject, it's John Jones. So on Monday, he announced that. He got off the phone with the UFC and he said that he is vacating the light heavyweight championship. It's officially up for grabs. It's been an amazing journey. Sincere thank you to all my competition, UFC, and most importantly, you, the fans. And then he added that the last time I spoke with UFC about my salary, there was no negotiating. If that ever changes, I'd love to come back and compete again as a heavyweight. Until then, I'll be enjoying UFC as a fan and doing my best to take care of my family and community. Uh, shortly thereafter, the busy man on Monday, Jones said, just had a really positive conversation with UFC. Sounds like there will be negotiations for my next fight at heavyweight. All good news. The weight gaining process begins. So it sounds like the light heavyweight title is vacant. And, uh, Brett Okamoto of ESPN had reported that the UFC is trying to finalize a fight with Dominic Reyes, who last fought Jones earlier this year, a fight that. Uh, a lot thought Reyes won uh, against Jan Blahovich, who would be the other contender in line. And at the time, they were it wasn't finalized because they were trying to figure out like what what the stakes would be for this fight. And I would imagine there's a good probability that becomes a title fight for the vacant title, and the door is now open for John Jones to go to heavyweight and creates a lot of interesting scenarios and. Uh, the fight, it would appear, would be Stipe Miocic and Francis Ngannou, but this could either throw a curveball to that or down the road, Jones getting the winner or Jones getting a tune-up at heavyweight. Uh, that seems to be like the options that are out there for uh, either later this year or 2021. So do you feel like we've just been a part of, um, I don't know, some very public um, chess moves uh, or was this like all according to plan? Um, I, I think a little bit of both. I, I think that Jones, I think Jones has definitely realized that uh, sharing all of this stuff uh, does him a lot of good. And I think it's also very smart, the psychology that if you just digest all of his tweets, your conclusion is, I really want to see this guy at heavyweight mm. and placing yeah. that pressure on UFC to make that happen, which means paying John what he feels he is worth by Moving up to heavyweight, which is 
absolutely assuming that he's going to have to put on weight. It's not just snap your fingers and you move up to heavyweight. And as we learned with George St. Pierre, that packing on weight does come with some risk uh, attached to it as well. Um, and for Jones, like these are, if you're talking about Stipe or Nganu, like these are, these are extremely dangerous fights uh, for Jones where he will invariably be, be smaller. And at the same time, they could be some very, very big fights uh, at heavyweight. So I would say, like, it it seems like a, a reasonable expectation that we will see him fight at heavyweight unless these uh, talks with UFC break down and they are unwilling to meet John at whatever his asking price is. The timing was really smart. You know, the the night after a, a heavily talked about heavyweight championship fight where everybody afterwards is talking about the next contenders. Yeah, it went real quick from the Daniel Cormier retirement tour to what's next? John Jones. Yeah. So once again, John Jones, uh, right there in the spotlight. Um, so there, that is what is going on in uh, the world of UFC. Oh, and the you... uh, the women's uh, tag team tournament. Oh, um, that's right. Yes, we are down to the finals, uh, which are going to be the, the Nightmare Sisters. Yes, they defeated Big and Lil Swole on uh, Monday's show, and they'll be taking on Ivelisse and Diamante, who beat Tay Conti and Anna Jay. So that the finals will be airing Saturday. On dynamite, yeah, yeah. Ex- um, are you excited? I can't say I'm excited. No, um, it's a match on Saturday. Uh, I mean, this tournament was an idea. Um, I don't know how successful you would label this women's tag team cup tournament. Um, ultimately, what it was, I think, was a series of like matches that otherwise would have been on dark. You know, uh, and and for many, like a tryout, like for like a take on T. Or Nicole Savoy, um, just a chance for, I would say, uh, the most hardcore of the AEW's audiences to have a look and for AEW themselves to have a look. And it seems like they just tried to give it a chance to dress it up within the body of its own show. Um, I haven't really been following it. I haven't been um, seeing like how well it's been doing as far as ratings goes. But um, I think a lot of people left left it, a li- at least like the idea of it, pretty disappointed because I think many had you know, higher expectations that this would be something that would um, jumpstart um, a new women's division or at least like a lot of fresh blood in the women's division. Maybe it will, but, um, you know, it doesn't seem like a lot of the matches were worth watching either. And ultimately what we're ending up with is going to be a match that you would probably seen otherwise on a Dynamite anyway, Um, which I think ultimately was the point to dress up this Ivelisse and Diamante taking on the Nightmare Sisters match. But, you know, there's still going to be a level of expectation on Saturday, you know, for... Oh, absolutely. Allie and Brandy Rhodes and and both uh, Ivelisse and Diamante. Like, um, you know, the bar is very high on Dynamite for match quality. And that's what it's going to be compared to. So um, I I think there's definitely a lot of pressure on that match. Um, Just looking at the shows here. So week one... Did 602,000 viewers on YouTube. Week number two did 302,000. And, well, uh, not really a fair comparison to look at uh, today's because it's only been up for four hours, but it's at 73,000. Right. And, of course, they do accumulate um, over the week. So Yeah. Uh, and what does Dark do in comparison? Last week's episode of Dark did 396,000. So, so comparable. under week one, but above week two. Okay. So about the same as Dark. In that in that ballpark. Okay. All right. All of your headlines you can go find at postwrestling.com. Uh, 
Andrew Thompson will be all over uh, your news, including uh, an update he just posted coming out of uh, Raw tonight. And this weekend, uh, Kristen Ashley actually is going to do our uh, weekend uh, a weekend update. For that is right. Tonight. Look out for that on, on Sunday. Kristen Ashley will have a, a news update uh, coming up, and it should be a pretty busy weekend. When you look at things that on Friday we've got SmackDown, there's also a fairly big Bellator show. Saturday, we've got TakeOver and Dynamite and a UFC card. Sunday, we've got SummerSlam. So that is that is the weekend ahead. Let's get into it. Let us get into Raw for the final time from the Performance Center. Oh, we're going to look back at this era so fondly, I think. No, we not. We, we had not. a WrestleMania are... here, John. We had the greatest wrestling match of all time here. We've had that's true. Look at all they did. A man lost his eye in this, oh, in this my uh, era. Yeah. Mm. Um, we've had multiple um, terrorist attacks. You know, it, it, it's one of the things that you know you you follow this stuff long enough. It, it just you always like romanticize like a certain era <laughs> of your wrestling fandom. So I really wonder like are the the 15 year olds that are watching Raw are they going to like 15 years from now talk about man this isn't like back when Nia Jax was like ru- roughing up everyone on Raw. That was when wrestling was wrestling. They didn't need fans. That's how popular they were. Yeah, I mean wrestling today you know, it's so boring. I mean, remember when Raw went underground? How creative that was. How now these guys on was. their on their rocket packs where they can fly into the sky. That's not wrestling. <laughs> Give me a superana. <laughs> Please. A guy chopped his arm off. We had realistic storylines when when Tez got poisoned. Yes. Remember that? Yes, yes. Set up the greatest SummerSlam of all time. You know, we we kid, but at the same time I, I feel like there are children watching this retribution stuff right now, totally eating it up. Um that might very well look back on it very fondly. You will always have, uh, I think, a, a soft spot for a certain era of your, um, you know, when you're young watching wrestling, where you will identify, I think, with that era and kind of maybe over overgrade it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Or under, or under, conversely, being an adult watching something that isn't uh, necessarily, you know, designed with with your target audience in mind, looking at it. With more critically, nobody does that way. I don't know what <laughs> what what world you're subscribing to. So right off the bat, they apologize for the technical issues immediately. This is a preemptive apology. We know tonight's going to be a mess. Drew McIntyre comes out to start the show. They recap the Orton Flair angle, and Drew calls it unforgivable what Randy did. He's 71 years old. He was your mentor, your protector, and your friend. You are pure evil. And he wishes SummerSlam was right now. But then we cut to the television truck and Retribution destroys the equipment. I thought they were just going to take down the entire performance center tonight. Yeah, I thought that's what they were doing like a couple weeks back on SmackDown, you know, knowing that they weren't going to come back anyway. But I guess they were still going to have to use this place afterwards, right? It feels like they just couldn't help themselves be WWE to talk about, look at all the mainstream coverage of our Thunderdome that we've announced publicly that... The idea of doing some kind of angle to get from one location to the next was not good. To me, I, I always remember, like, it wasn't even a big thing, but when they were switching the SmackDown set, so they had Rhino gore Jericho through the screen, and it's like, that was the death of the SmackDown set. So the next week we came back and we had the, a giant fist that had just come out of nowhere. 
Yeah, I wonder what they could have done. Is the underground gonna? Of course, the underground's coming with it too, eh? So they've they've got a forklift to go underground, lift it, and drive it to Orlando and place it underground the Amway at the Amway Center. Wow, that seems like quite the. Yeah, maybe they'll be on the highway or something. That's the underground. Maybe they'll be in the subway. It'll now be the raw overpass. Right, the on ramp. So we come back. And it just says moments ago, and it's just cutting all frantically to different graphics. Uh, there were so many camera cuts here. I thought there was an attack going on, and they, this is just a regular that. sequence. They did that during Drew's promo, like in the first segment. It just all of a sudden went crazy. Mm-hmm. And um, they had like the opening signature in here. Yeah, yeah. So I guess it's just like I don't know them threatening the switcher by pressing all the buttons. I. I I actually thought it was a hot hot start. Like I'm again watching all this retribution stuff, not really like with any sort of sense of realism, but more so just watching it, like it's you know, cartoonish act of terrorism. Like if 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 a if a Sunday morning comic strip had to d- depict the terrorist act, I suppose this is how I feel like it would go. And I thought it was like a unique hot start to the show. It makes it feel like a major event has taken place throughout the entire thing. It wasn't a, it, like this was the biggest uh, stuff they did with Retribution tonight. It was really all concentrated in that first half hour. Um, we had a few like lights flickering here and there, but it was and, and a lot less goofy than the other segments, which have just been a real negative and I mean, it's worth noting that this would have been, well, I guess Friday as well. Um, those were the first taping since the initial angle was uh, we, we, we shot on the, the episodes. But yeah. I thought at least they downplayed a lot of like the, the goofiness to it. What I like watching, too, is that they just had Drew McIntyre basically go out there to create, you know, yeah, he did answer Orton. But it was like, I also felt like he, they just told him to go out there and cut really generic promo talking about Randy Orton and like as the cameras are cutting to the back in the truck and you see retribution attacking, you still hear drew essentially vamping in the background, filling time, like talking about Randy Orton and Drew's like still ramping it up, like really loudly getting really angry. And I'm trying to make out what drew is saying. And it's just like the most generic, I'm going to kick your ass. I'm going to kick your ass so hard type of stuff. That, that to me was fun. fun to hit. Nothing like hearing WWE speak in the faint background. Yeah. Randy, you will see it coming. (laughs) (laughs) The locker room is reacting to this, including Titus O'Neil, who is back. Drew comes in. He says, they ask him, how's Rick going? How's Rick? Drew is all of a sudden like his his surrogate. This this deep relationship that we didn't know existed between Ric Flair and Drew McIntyre. And I, I thought that was like a major issue that they had because we talked about this, that I think it would have had some impact. My example was when they did it to the big show, but just for Drew to have some kind of connection with them, like there, there was more established in the last few weeks of Kevin Owens with Ric Flair than Drew, who had no interaction with this guy. It's true. And I think that's part of the reason why it, it didn't feel that believable to me today. Drew feeling all that upset about what, what's going on with, with Ric Flair. Of course, anybody who is a fan of Ric Flair, if this happened in real life, would be upset. But for Drew to all of a sudden take it so personally and, in fact, like almost be treated as, as yeah, the surrogate and the one who is in contact with Ric Flair to know how what his status would be, um, that was a little hard for me to, to um, buy. And it almost felt like they were trying to do the same thing but 
you know, remedying it with a scene of hearing Drew with Shawn Michaels talking about their history on this particular episode. So Drew says, Rick, much like Kyrie saying, it's going to be okay. He doesn't know if they'll get to SummerSlam with Retribution on the run. And he says that they're crapping in our backyard and I suggest we band together. And they all agreed to this. And then they kind of went their separate ways for the rest of the night. I guess Retribution didn't come back, did they? Okay. So maybe they just, they watch Raw. They're like, wait a minute. This is a bad idea. Let's bail. Let's get a head start and get to Orlando for Friday. Seth Rollins and Murphy walked in. So Seth talked about what a real leader is. Uh, Ricochet got in a line about Seth. He's going to get a receipt tonight from Ray. So Seth is all paranoid that Ray's going to show up tonight. And Drew got pissed and shoved Murphy, who didn't say a word on this show. He just got shoved and beaten up and hit with kendo sticks. He was a literal punching bag tonight. The Hurt Business came out. And they told Retribution they are open for business and calls them out. And being tough is not lurking in the shadows. They are always tough. And then MVP says to follow the money because who benefits from Retribution? He accuses Apollo Crews, Ricochet, and Cedric Alexander and said how they messed with his match against Crews two weeks ago and they must be behind it. They have also renamed the full Nelson the full Lashley. feel like they could have done better. Can you imagine if Monty Brown was given that move in this company? Oh, wow. Apollo comes out. MVP, he says, you can't beat me without Benjamin and Lashley's help. And MVP says that Cruz has become bitter, or had become bitter with the way his career had been going prior to getting the U.S. title. So he's fearful of losing it and going back to catering. Cruz is afraid of that. Says, dude... I'm the U.S. champion, and they book me to lose every single week. Of course I'm worried about ending up back in catering. Look at Mustafa Ali. He's on main event, which they may as well rebrand catering at this point, given how much they are using this word. Cruz suggests that if he can beat Shelton tonight, then Benjamin and Lashley will be barred from ringside on Sunday and stuck in at catering. <laughs> MVP says, cool. And then threatens to put him over his knee on Sunday at SummerSlam. Yes, yes. Um, so, yeah, establishing that potential stipulation. And, I mean, both guys... They should have left it time. to a fan vote. The catering stipulation. Right, okay, yeah. What will Bobby and Shelton eat at catering? Well, um, whatever they're going to eat, um, they wouldn't have had time to digest during this match because it went all of two minutes. Uh, which was highlighted by R-Truth running into the ring, chased by the ninjas. Shelton nailed a ninja, and this allowed Cruz to win off the distraction with a jackknife cover. A real nothing match, just a backdrop for the uh, storyline. Um, Gets that prestigious win back from last week when Shelton beat this guy. I mean, is this why Cruz lost to Shelton last week? You had to set this up for the uh, the match with the ninja running. Yeah, okay. And Cruz wins off a distraction from a ninja. You know, I really can't say I'm excited for this Cruz MVP match. I mean, as as good as I feel like both men have sounded on the microphone, the story that they've tried to develop to build to this rematch for SummerSlam, no less, I don't think has had enough, uh, you know, difference attached to it. Um, it's I you can tell definitely that they are pushing forward towards Cruz versus Lashley, and at this point, it just feels like they're just delaying the inevitable. <laughs> 
Wait, this is the most bizarre buildup for this match on Sunday. Like, they are building up everyone but MVP for this match. There was a post-match attack, and this led to Ricochet, Ali, and Alexander coming out. And Ali tries to stop the full Lashley on Cedric, and then Cruz helped, sending Lashley out. And then R-Truth runs down into a boot from Shelton, and Shelton pins R-Truth to become the 24-7 champion. And an MVP proposes a six-man elimination tag match for later tonight with the Hurt Business against three of the four. So they were going to have to find one person to cut on the babyface side. Yep. Angel Garza with the returning Demi Burnett. I don't know what's going on with this woman. She has to like just be local or something or really enjoy full sail. Could be. Yeah. I wonder if she'll be uh, joining them. To the this Amway. is a separate taping they brought her in for. I guess is, I mean, is she even on a current season of the bachelor or was she on the last one? Like what's going on here? Is, I have no what idea. is she promoting? She's not even promoting anything. Like they do mention her as like Demi Burnett from the bachelorette, but like they're not even like, this is not a just show up to promote something deal. Yeah. Let's look here. I want to find out what she was on. Okay. So her filmography. She was on season 24 of The Bachelor, which premiered on January 6th. So that's got to be over by now. And then she's now listed as WWE guest appearance. She was on The Bachelor season 23, The Bachelorette season 15, Bachelor in Paradise season 6, Dancing with the Stars, and then season 24 of The Bachelor. Wow, she's like a, like a Bachelor veteran. I wonder how she did on this thing. Holy Christ, are there a lot of people on this show. Well, I mean, she's still a Bachelor, I guess. Okay, not, here, not here's, the, here, here's what happened on week three. Alia showed her wild side at the mansion, which rubbed the other girls the wrong way. Kiara, Sarah, Tammy, Kelly, Sheehan, Savannah, Sydney, and Alaya, Alaya, went on the second group date of the week, hosted by Demi Burnett from the 23rd season of The Bachelor. Demi assigned outfits to all of the women, varying from lingerie to mamoose, which is a loose dress of Hawaiian origin. The women arrived at a salon where they participated in Demi's Extreme Pillow Fight Club. Chris Harrison announced alongside recurring guest announcer Fred Willard. The late Fred Willard did this. Alia was crowned champion to the dismay of the other women. That's what we missed this last season. Okay, thanks. Sorry. That went on longer than it needed to. They promoted the Thunderdome, and then Angel Garza took on Ivar. Uh, This is after... uh, Oh, sorry. We skipped over the whole segment with Burnett. Angel Garza's hitting on her. Then Ivar comes in to flirt with her and invites Demi to be his plus one at Raw Underground, handing her a turkey leg and then insinuates that it was Garza that poisoned Montez Ford. And she gets the turkey leg handed back to her after Garza tosses it away. And then she never showed up at Raw Underground. I don't think she took him up on the plus one. Mm. Maybe she couldn't find it. Could have been. Angel Garza and Ivar, this went 252. Uh, Garza caught Ivar climbing through the ropes. This is after uh, Vega had blocked the dive. Just kicks the rope and hits a seated drop kick and pins Ivar. So this guy looked like a fool. Another match that was just really there, nothing special, um, anticlimactic finish. Some of these matches, like I really could have used a retribution run in. 
<laughs> just to like wipe them out because a lot of them were just there were only mm-hmm. two matches that got any kind of time tonight like we were talking two minutes three minutes three minutes four minutes three minutes mm-hmm. and then we had the tag and the elimination those were the only ones that got time on this show yeah. Dawkins and Demi Burnett appear on the screen Dawkins brings up Charlie Caruso and Garza's getting all upset because he's threatening to run a video and Samoa Joe knows what video he's referring to and Vega approaches Joe. Joe says that WWE has gone through hundreds of hours of security footage due to retribution. And they found a clip that someone shared with Joe and Dawkins and Vega. Uh, Dawkins has the clip. Vega is worried about this footage. And it's implied that it's going to out Vega as the one behind the poison. Is that what Dawkins was insinuating to, though? See, the way it came off was it was something damaging to Garza, and he freaks out and runs to the back. But it's Zelina that is just standing there, and she's concerned. So either Garza knew about the poisoning, or there's another damaging video about Garza, probably with another woman or something. Could be, yeah. I mean, you know, he, he the man is engaged. so That's true, which did air on television, so... So we are aware of that. So the idea was that Dawkins was just, you know, um, like pretending throughout all this. He knows what is actually on the on the on the on the tape. Yes. So he um, the baby face is engaging in extortion. Yes. OK. Uh, so we cut to the back and. Vega uh, approaches them, <laughs> then Charlie gets involved. Dawkins runs the clip and it revealed like a perfect angle of Zelina Vega in the back by the equipment playing around and putting something in Montez's red cup, which, man, you should not be just leaving that around in this area. Like there's no one around and he just left it there. And Andrade was surprised by this. Andrade clearly was not supposed to be aware that Vega did the poisoning and Vega denies it. And she accuses Charlie of being the one behind it. Dawkins cuts a promo on them. And then Montez Ford runs into the shot, attacking them. And Montez Ford is alive. Do you believe that Zelina was to be the the one, you know, this entire time? Because the way the story played out was like... She had all the plausible deniability and there was no evidence. And, um, and they were so like... Um, I think they hit you over the head so hard with the fact that, like, all the baby faces thought it, it was Zelina. Like, Bel Air got her revenge on Zelina prior to the reveal in a match. Um, like, it was all leading to, you know, the big swerve at the end where it was revealed that it, Zelina had nothing to do with it and it was going to be somebody else. Well, now it was exactly what we all thought first it was Zelina. Um, it just seems like really weird to me that they would. Like, was this a swerve on a swerve, or was this... What, what? How did you read this? I took this as, we should be thankful we got a conclusion to this, and it just it wasn't the mysterious person that poisoned Montez Ford that we drop. Right. So, I mean, at least we yeah. got that, and it is for the match that we are building up. But it was very confusing with the reveal, because it's... Like, Andrade is clearly mistaken here. Garza was freaking out about something, so either there's another clip they have down the road or he was in on this wasn't the exact uh the cleanest reveal yeah okay yeah if they um, but maybe they'll shore up all these 
questions at a later date. Natalia versus Mickey James. Uh, this was set up last week. Lana's in Natalia's corner, and she just takes pictures on her phone during the match. Uh, the Mick DT was blocked. Just rolls off the tongue. The Mick DT. Both go down from a double clothesline, and then Rollins and Murphy just storm down, and they confront Joe, and Rollins is demanding he know who Joe's sources are that told him Ray is coming tonight. Be like, dude, do you, do you go to WWE.com? They've been promoting it all week. He says there is no way that Ray could show up. He wants to know who the source is. And the match is going on in the background here as Mickey gets sent to the floor. This is after Lana had passed an object to Natalia. And Mickey got hit with the foreign object, lands on the floor, and she gets counted out in 315. I thought it was... I thought all this was awful. Like, I was actually looking forward to this match. So, um, I guess they didn't think anybody else would care because, you know, neither Mickey nor Natalia had entrances, um, nor did they even have a match because the the entire match was a backdrop for Joe and Seth Rollins to argue, like, incessantly about (laughs) where Joe gets his sources from. It was just, like, Joe and Seth yelling all over it and then a really bad can-up finish. So, you can definitely expect them to redo this one. Um, but I just thought it was really bad TV. Yeah, pretty um, nondescript return here for Mickey James. This would have been her first match since June of last year, since she's been out with the the injury and doing commentary in that time. Uh, Lana took a photo of Mickey, so Mickey delivered a spinning wheel kick, knocking the phone out of her hands. Yeah. Rollins gets on the mic and threatens Ray and Dominic, and said if they show up. Neither will make it to SummerSlam. They ran an ad with WWE content on the Peacock Network, and then Bailey and Sasha came out. Banks pleads to give them a break. They're the hardest working wrestlers in the company. Now they have to both face Asuka, and then they burst out laughing. Finally, we get a night off. They call her the Empress of Stupidity, and there is no way that she can beat both of them in one night. So then they argue over who should beat Asuka first with Banks uh, opting for Bailey to go first. So Bailey says, fine, I'll do the heavy lifting and then I'll hand Asuka over to you and you can just submit her without breaking a sweat. Then they have to come back and defend their tag titles the next week at Payback and they list off the potential teams they could face and they go to say Asuka and Kyrie before Bailey laughs, knowing that Kyrie is not an option anymore. Because while she's going to be okay, she has a career-ending injury. Did they say that on air? The career they said, uh they they've said it in the in the promos. Right. And in story here, I mean she's not coming back. Right. Okay. So Shayna comes out, followed by Asuka. Shayna says that she's coming for the Raw Women's title after SummerSlam. And I guess they could have pointed out, you just lost the Battle Royal. You're at the back of the line. Then Asuka comes out and tells Shayna, tonight you fight with me before you fight against me. So they teamed up to take on Bailey and Sasha. And this was our longest match on Raw tonight. Early in the match, Nia Jax returns from her two-week suspension uh, Pat Buck is out there with the other officials trying to stop her and her and Shayna get into another brawl and it leaves Asuka alone in a two-on-one situation. We go through the commercial. Heels have the heat. Uh, 
there's a spinning back fist delivered to Bailey, but then Banks applies the bank statement and Shayna Baszler returns and we are back to a tag match. Baszler gets the tag, attacks Banks, goes for the Kirafuda clutch onto Bailey, but from behind, Sasha uh, applies the bank statement and then tosses her into the Bailey to belly, which was a cool double team. Uh, and Baszler kicks out of this with the double finishes. Banks then goes to the floor, gut wrench suplex on Bailey, knee strike. Kirafuda clutch, Sasha makes the save, and then Asuka takes out Sasha. There's an Asuka lock applied to her on the floor, while Baszler is able to reapply the Kirafuda clutch, forcing Bailey to submit 12 minutes of TV time. And I would say a pretty strong hint that this is probably the payback match. Yeah, I would say so. Um, you know, uh, God she- forbid they beat a champion and don't have a plan of to See, play it up uh, so- down the road. So you think this will be the tag team match with Shayna and, and Asuka? Yeah. Yeah, uh, I guess so. I guess I was more so looking at Shayna as a potential single star rather than doing this Asuka-Shayna team again. You know, um, but then you would have to move Shayna over to SmackDown or something. Um, I, I, yeah, I didn't get that as much of a sense that like Asuka and Shayna were going to team up again because you had Shayna do so much with like Shafir and, and Duke on this show. Uh, so we shall see, but certainly like Shayna making Bailey tap. I mean, Bailey taps pretty much loses to everybody. So, um, maybe they'll go somewhere with it. Maybe they won't, but I, I thought the match was great. And I really felt like Shayna, this was like her baby face turn on this show. She got the big, you know, um, mid match return to get the hot tag to rescue Asuka on this, on this show. And then later on, of course, like, you know, would square toe to toe with Nia Jax. So it feels like they're going to go that direction with Shayna. And I think it's, it'll be good for her. Yeah. So, yeah, what they've established is Bailey and Asuka will be first on Sunday, followed by Asuka and Sasha. And, yeah, we'll see. They can go several directions there. But I, I hope, like, this finish beating Bailey, it's done for a reason. And I just don't see what other challengers you can heat up for Bailey and Sasha so quickly other than these two. I mean, isn't that too much of the same thing? You know, like we've already had, uh, we're going to have Asuka versus Bailey and Banks multiple times. We're going to have it two times on, on the week prior to go to another Asuka and Bailey and Banks like combination again. I guess with the tease that Asuka is going to take every single belt away from them. I guess there's, there's a story there. Uh, but I also, I can also, I see enough people like I am. I love the fact that Asuka is going for both belts. I think it's a great one night story. But I've already seen enough people complain about that. The fact that Asuka is taking up a spot that could have gone to somebody else on the women's roster. That if you do another Asuka versus Bailey and Banks match, I feel like people would be really upset. Because there are plenty of other tag teams. Um, maybe not tag teams that are ready yet. Um, but doesn't mean you know you can't have them win a battle royal and, and get into that, that. I mean, that's more of an indictment on like the lack of build for, for their tag teams, isn't it? I think it's uh, like you have so many women, but they're really centering things around three or four people. Um, you know, it's really a three-person division, um, and then Shayna kind of being inserted into that picture. You know, I could see them going with the story of Asuka winning both belts. I could also see the scenario where at the end of all of this, at Payback, uh, you could have Sasha loses her belt, and Bailey still has her title, and that's the friction between those two. Um there's different options you can go to. I, I do think they need to uh, widen the circle, though, because it's they are so 
you can see like they have so much confidence in Bailey and Sasha that they built both divisions around the two. And you've just got all these other others just kind of going in circles and you, you don't really, I think, I think it could use some, some new blood within these, this title division, but uh, for, yeah. for the foreseeable future, like you, you have to pay off all this stuff. Yeah, so we shall see like what what the Shayna making Bailey tap out will mean. Uh, whether or not it will lead to a tag team match because I I actually can't see Shayna going for the SmackDown Championships because they've already teased Shayna versus Oscar. Like I I predict Oscar will beat Sasha at the pay per view, and then you can do Shayna versus Oscar on Raw, which makes me wonder why Shayna made Bailey tap. Well, we gotta see how it plays out. I I I would hate if they just beat Bailey for no reason, but I mean they did that with Kyrie. So you have to make Shayna look strong by having her tap somebody, and I guess they couldn't afford Sasha losing. Was Bailey just the odd person out? Well, let, let's put it this way: without uh, Shayna and Oscar, who is going to be in this payback match? Yeah, that's a very good question. Like, there's um, nobody. You're not putting the Iconics there. You're not putting Ruby Riot and Liv Morgan there, and that's basically your team your your division mm-hmm. ricochet Ali and Alexander in the back Cruz thanks them for having his back and says it's going to be the three of them taking on the hurt business minus Cedric Alexander next time next time and Cedric is a little frustrated they walk off and then Randy Orton walks in just because so get some camera time I guess so. There's a weird transition here. Like, they really don't have any crossover. Mm. He just wanted a place to stand. Drew meets with Shawn Michaels, and Shawn says, quote, I know how much Rick meant to you. Really? Really? I would love to know how much Rick meant to Drew McIntyre, because... By the end of this segment, I would say Drew had a much in this one segment, he had more of a connection with Shawn Michaels that was established than he's ever had with Ric Flair. What was the other thing that they did like that just really came out of nowhere? Was it the fact that like Big Show was like best friends with was it Ric Flair? Was it Christian? Christian? Christian. Yeah. Big Show and Christian? Yeah, those are all the buddies. Edge, Christian, Big Show, and Randy. And they're all our truth. And our truth, yeah. Yeah. The Of course, I I mean, I do buy it. You know, they they worked in the company for many years together. Um, I guess it does come as a bit of a, you know, shock to to viewers because you haven't necessarily seen those combinations on TV. All I'm saying is that if this was like we knew where this was always going with with Rick, like it had to end with Randy kicking him. So, you know what match you're getting to. Throughout all this time, like you could have just been having, you know, Rick, you know, a few segments where he's he chats with Drew. He's got this respect for Drew, even though he's facing his guy. Like it could have been layered to the point that this really did have an impact on Drew McIntyre instead of all of a sudden this week. This is supposed to be this this heartbreaking deal for Drew McIntyre. Like I, I would say they did a better job of in this one segment, establishing the history of Drew and Shawn Michaels to make tonight's closing angle kind of have that impact more than the Flair stuff. But anyway, through osmosis, you're supposed to have a lot of hatred for Randy Orton. Uh, Orton, he says, 
uh, is going to use all of this anger in Drew and his frustration against him. And Sean says, you need to kick his head off at SummerSlam. You've worked too hard to give this all up. Drew says, coming back to WWE, he went to NXT and got to work with Michaels. And I feel like all of this by Randy was under my watch. He's run roughshod. And Sean, I've let you down. Sean says, Drew, you've never let me down. I remember when you tore your biceps and you drove five hours every day to learn and to train. You beat Brock Lesnar after he held the title hostage. And he tells Drew, tonight when I go out there, just give me my space. I like this segment a lot. I mean, as you mentioned, this was, I think, the type of scene we were missing between Drew and Rick to really, um, you know, make Sean's attack afterwards really personal for Drew. Um, and it also explained why Drew won't be there to protect Sean later on. Yeah, I like the fact that they put that one line in there about give me my space. Yet he was out there pretty damn quick. So, I mean, it was uh, if only he had uh, the heads up last week. Gave him the space, you know, gave Did him the g- space to get attacked and then came in. Ruby and Liv Morgan are confronted by the Iconics, who make fun of their friendship. Peyton is going to take Billy Kay's spot in the match tonight. Uh, I don't think this match was ever announced, so I don't know why we had to clarify one was taking the other spot. Uh, they call Liv trash, which pisses off Ruby. And then they leave, and the Iconics look off, and there is Shayna speaking with Jessamine Duke and Marina Shafir, making their Raw debuts. Yep, there they are. I guess they it, I guess they debuted technically in the crowd. Uh yes, I guess so. But now they have hopped the rail and now they are backstage. Uh Retribution, maybe they've gotta rename themselves Final Cut because they put a hell of a video package together on themselves. I actually didn't watch it. Was it any good? Uh it was a video package. Just kind of recapping everything. Peyton Royce and Ruby Riot. Uh Ruby attacked her immediately. She was so angry over this insult. Uh, She sends Royce over the apron to the floor. Then Royce throws her into the barricade. There's a knee to the head of Ruby for a two count, but she fights back with a running kick in the corner. They go to the floor and Liv and Ruby start arguing with Billy Kay. And then Royce shoves Ruby into Liv Morgan from behind, tosses Ruby into the ring, deja vu, and pins her in 353. Liv looked all confused and was annoyed with Ruby and... Hopefully, hopefully, Liv Morgan DVRs Raw. Oh, um, yes, yes. Or um, goes to the back. I mean, I'm sure she could find this online at some point on YouTube or something. Uh, I thought it was a good little match. You know, great aggression from them both. Good looking offense from Peyton Royce. So, um, man, the Iconics have probably gotten more wins as part of this, this like Riot Squad feud than they've ever had during their time in the WWE. We do the big tilt up on Big Jordan. Shane tells him it's almost 10 o'clock or 9.52 when Raw Underground starts. And he opens up the door and Shane goes into the walk-in freezer. Yep. So Raw Underground begins with Eric tossing around Colby Carino. Yeah. Son of Steve. Yeah, interesting. And then nails him with knees to a downed opponent. Florida, they're legal. And they get a stoppage victory. And then Shane interviews Dolph Ziggler, who asks what he thought of Eric's performance. And he gives him a 4 out of 10. 
how Bret Hart of you. And he challenged, uh, Eric gets pissed and challenges Dolph right now. And Shane is just losing it. This is going to be sick. This is going to be sick. Eric versus Dolph. And Eric hits him with a slam, uses knees from the clinch, and then Ziggler goes for a rear naked choke. Forward roll, but doesn't break. And he doesn't have the choke fully applied. So he goes, Stipe, and thumbs him right in the eye to get the proper grip. And Ivar, uh, and this is it. He gets the win via eye gouge slash rear naked choke. And then Ivar shoves Ziggler onto everyone on the floor. So this is our first angle to set up a future Raw Underground match. Yeah, yeah. And maybe one of the first matches involving like two actual members of the roster too. So the the Underground is evolving everybody i i think i think both men look great here you know i love underground dolph like just using like his great amateur wrestling and i love underground eric overpowering everything with like big suplexes and big strikes like i know they're going to contain this sort of style only in this like thing but um both guys are better versions of themselves down here yeah i i think that you it's kind of straddling this line where they're trying to present these more serious, but it's if you're watching it from the perspective that you have any basis of like MMA or grappling, it's complete comedy. But if you're watching just strictly from pro wrestling, it's more serious than a pro wrestling presentation. Yeah, I don't watch shoot fighting. Like, I don't watch Bloodsport looking for MMA. I'm looking for a different style of professional wrestling. And, and you know, this... This is not even that. This is even like way more pro wrestling than, you know, what you would see in Bloodsport. Uh, and uh, I mean, ultimately, you're just getting more aggressive, more realistic, you know, um, techniques in these matches involving these guys with, at least in Dolph's case, you know, very legitimate backgrounds. And it looks like Eric, like, you know, has had probably some like, you know, legit striking um, like experience as well. And, you know, ultimately, you're just being presented with like, more realistic versions of these guys wrestling. This is also the first taping after the initial batch were done for those two episodes of raw uh, notable. The girls were gone. Uh, did you yes. notice any other changes? Um, no mass. <laughs> well, that's true. Yeah. Um, still haven't quite figured. Maybe that these out. should be outdoors. I still, still haven't quite figured that out. Why? Like behind plexiglass. Everybody has to have masks, but once there are, there's no plexiglass, no ropes, even people are crowded right next uh, to each other in the ring. Uh, you don't need to give that presentation. So I guess it's, it's the underground. There are no rules. Only in Florida. Um, Ray and Dominic come out and Ray says that since extreme rules, what he has felt is pain. They crucified my son on the ropes and savagely attacked him with kendo sticks last week. And it made Ray feel a rage that he has never felt. I needed to be there to protect my son and take the beating myself so I wouldn't have to see Dominic suffer. He says there's a big possibility he will never fully recover. But no doctor will stop him from protecting his son. He will be in Dominic's corner at SummerSlam and he's going to watch Dominic kick Seth's ass in the street fight, which is the stipulation they have uh, assigned the match. Yeah. Street fight stipulation. Yep. Dominic says, I know what I was in for when I signed my WWE contract. I will be ready. Ray says, I am such a proud father. And he warns Seth that if he gets involved tonight, he's not even going to make it to Sunday. 
So Rollins and Murphy appear on the screen and they ask what kind of father Ray is. He could have prevented this all from the beginning. But now it's not just Ray and Dominic, but it's the Mysterio name that will be sacrificed for the greater good. And Ray says, you come out and say that to my face. So he challenges them to come out and out they come. Ray and Dominic go to the floor. Ray is circling around the ring. So Seth and Murphy are focused on Ray. But they made the cardinal mistake of two men with 20-20 vision. They took their eye off of Dominic, who brought in two kendo sticks and started attacking Seth and Murphy. Ray joins in, and they tied up Seth in the ropes. But then Seth makes the escape, and Murphy just took off in the crowd. So Ray and Dominic stood tall with the kendo sticks. I enjoyed the segment. You know, anytime Ray makes an appearance, he's able to convey like an air of seriousness, I think, really well, even for something as ridiculous as these like eye gouging ankles. But like when Ray talks, you really believe it. Uh, and I think Dominic really like between like the in ring and also like the the kendo stick whipping and just even how he sounds in, in, on the microphone to me has greatly exceeded expectations. So I thought this was a very well built program that I'm actually looking forward to. Yeah, I thought it was good to have Ray's involvement, and obviously he'll play a big role in the match on on Sunday. And yeah, it'll be interesting how that match is is laid out because Ray should have to get involved physically. Yeah, he'll probably do something. Sure, maybe he'll lose the other eye. I, I could see a finish where he just loses it, and he ends up doing something that you know he accidentally cost Dominic the match. Hmm. Okay, interesting. Go that way. MVP is in the back. He goes up to Cedric Alexander and said, I was once in your position navigating WWE when I was younger, but it wasn't my friends who were holding me back. And Alexander calls him out for trying to stir up shit. He says, I've got your best interests at heart. MVP says, perhaps they thought you were the weak link. And notes how it must be difficult to tag with a guy who calls himself the one and only an MVP's offer to join the hurt business still stands. And you can think about it when you're eating, eating and catering and Cedric is left alone and he throws his water bottle. It was a really interesting side story that they had, uh, you know, with with Cedric doing the, um, you know, tease of going to the dark side, but I was disappointed that they, they didn't seem to go anywhere with it by the show's end. Um, the other thing I, I'd really noticed was how, how mo- how much they're relying on this group between MVP and Cedric and Apollo uh, just to fill up this entire show. You you really do get the sense that they're dealing with like a very limited roster still. We go back to uh, Underground with Arturo Huas and Riddick Moss, and they just had this huge brawl. Uh, Huas starts attacking the body, and then he's delivering leg kicks, which prompts Shane, chopping the tree! Chopping the tree. And He's Riddick, like every annoying guy that at the bar. Yeah. That you've like, watched. Dude, I, I could with. take that that Iceman Chuck Liddell. No, he's just the guy who like feels like he needs to talk and run commentary over it because he thinks he knows like yeah. more than more than the other like more than Joe Rogan. You know? Anyway. I've been that guy from time to time. But um it's it's more annoying when it's on TV, I guess. <laughs> There's big right hands from Moss. He gets slammed down by Huas. And then he goes for a choke and Moss slams him onto the back to escape. There's stomps by by Moss. And then he lands uh, 
Riddick gets caught with a knee bar and they roll to the floor and Huas and Moss get up and they just start beating the shit out of the extras who are around here. And Shane just, that was sick. That was sick. That was so sick. And that was the end of it. I, I think John McCarthy ended a fight like that once. This is so sick, Randy. This is so dope. Sick. God, yeah. he's irritating, but he's, uh, I guess he, he, that's the mood they want to set for this raw underground. He, he reminds me a lot of like the Miz when he was the host of SmackDown right when he started. Sure. Yeah. He's like the Miz's dad. Right. Right. Um, I, I can't really say that much about, um, maybe the, the result of this. I mean, the fact that they didn't have either guy win, I feel like was a form of protecting both guys, you know, um, because I think both guys look great. You know, a gimmick like this is really good for Huas. And it's really good for Moss, too. Certainly, like, to see him in this light on Raw once every couple weeks is way better than seeing him in the 24-7 division. Um, allows him to, like, look like a beast. You know, by the end of this, I I mean, I think there is still going to be people that just hate this underground stuff and just, like, won't want to see any of it, period. But I actually want to see Huas and Moss, like, on Raw proper. Because, you know, again, in trying to, like, just promote this, like, realistically realistically promote this, like, sh- shoot fighting type of thing, they're just creating people that you want to see kick other people's ass, you know? Uh, Huas, like, had, like, he's got that capoeira style it, with, combined with MMA that just makes him so incredibly unique. And when they, when they go for, like, the detail, like, you know, fighting for, for a heel hook or something like that, that to me is just, like good modern-day professional wrestling that they should be doing at all times. If this leads to a match, fine. I One thing I have liked about this is the fact that what they presented, there's always a winner, there's always a loser. And I think that... Except that for is this. A, except for this one, where we had to do our usual, well, we can't hurt either guy, so therefore we're not going to help either guy. It's to me, like, is Riddick Moss... like? Pick your person. Who are we pushing here? And give them the win. And that kind of establishes your raw underground where you're going to get a decisive outcome and it's going to help the winner. Um, instead of this, where it was just clear, well, we don't want to do that with these two. Yeah, I mean, much of much of really everything on Raw feels like they're just making it up as they, they're going along. So I don't know if, if like, I guess they, there's some semblance of an actual underground division at this point. Um, but... You know, the Hurt Business was all over the first episode. We haven't seen them on, on this thing since. Um, and then other than that, these just kind of feel like standalone bits of vignettes. The only little bit of storyline built we've seen thus far has been Dolph Ziggler and uh, uh, the Ivar match. MVP, Bobby Lashley, and Shelton Benjamin against Apollo Crews, Mustafa Ali, and Ricochet in an elimination match. <laughs> Dude, before I could even take my first like line of notes, Ali was out of here with the Dominator by Lashley. It shows you where he stands on the roster. I mean, he's at least he's not in the twenty four seven division. I feel like he's that's not even below. at it, dude. I'd say he's below that. Like he's yeah. not even at that level. I feel like I would rather be on main event than be in the twenty four seven. He is on main event. He yeah. lost to Riddick Moss last week. I'd I would say that. that's below the twenty four seven title. Oh, not to me. Uh, to me, like once you once you get painted with that twenty four seven brush, you're you're no longer like a serious wrestler at all. They've done a remarkable job with this guy's return. Yeah. Uh, 
Lashley then hits a pop-up Uranagi onto Ricochet, followed by the pay dirt, and Ricochet's gone. And they got a quick interview with Ricochet asking him if he was disappointed because last year he took on AJ Styles for the U.S. title at SummerSlam. Uh, and he just said, I've already won. I'm not even supposed to be here. And I've got a lot of SummerSlams still to go. <laughs> Cruz then eliminates Shelton with the toss powerbomb. And then out of nowhere, Cedric runs down to the ring, rolls up Shelton, and he wins the 24-7 title. Uh, that sets up the commercial. We come back. MVP hits a running boot to Cruz in the corner, then goes for a second one that misses, and it leaves him to fall prey to the toss powerbomb. We've got the the creativity of the full Lashley, and we're still going with the toss powerbomb. Pins MVP. Cruz, the champion, pins the challenger clean going into Sunday. And then it's down to Lashley and Apollo, the big showdown that we're not getting on Sunday. So Cruz is attacking him with insiguries, goes for the toss powerbomb. It's countered, and he gets speared. And Bobby Lashley pins this guy clean, uh, 10.51 of TV time. And that sets up Bobby Lashley to be in catering on Sunday during the U.S. title match, where the guy that just lost clean will challenge the guy he just pinned, Apollo Cruz. It really does feel like um, Holy the Christ. match they're building to is Apollo and Lashley and, I mean, this MVP thing. I, I feel like they'll probably do Apollo versus Lashley at payback. You know, that's to me the only explanation, and that this is the build for actually payback. And some, you know, the match that you're about to see at SummerSlam is just just might as well be a kickoff match that you could skip. I predict that Apollo is going to beat MVP at SummerSlam and face him again at payback. That's my oh, prediction. Jeez, wow. Hey, the kickoff. They are now promoting a 5 p.m. start on Sunday, so that mm. means a two-hour kickoff show, and then SummerSlam at seven. Well, you know, there are a lot of kinks to, to run through with this new Thunderdome. Um, they said that uh, Dunn said he was going to be, he and his crew are going to be practicing um, feverishly for like two days. So we'll see how it's I'm sure they'll goes. be fine. That is one thing I am not concerned about with, with WWE, that they will have this down pretty pat by Friday. Yeah, so two hours of the kickoff, which I, I'm, I'm willing to bet most people won't be watching. Um, and then probably, what, three and a half hours at least? Of SummerSlam. They've only got they've only announced eight matches. They didn't add any matches on Raw tonight. I mean they could add some during the week, but it's not like they have this gigantic lineup of matches. You'd figure they probably have to do what, two to three on the kickoff, maybe two, and then they're gonna have to add matches, I would think. They don't have to. They don't have to, but I think we we both know they'll probably throw more stuff on here. I mean, like certainly the, I feel like they've learned with a lot of these B shows. That less is more. I mean, a lot of these B shows have been what two and a half hours. Yeah, right? to, topping out at three, and they've been way more easy to digest at that hour. So, yeah. so now, like doing you know an A show in SummerSlam, how uh, what lessons will they have learned? Like, how long was WrestleMania? Three. That was well. It was up. the two nights, yeah. so it was like it, it topped three hours both nights. But I mean, way better in that form, as opposed to a six and a half hour. Show. I mean, they should really learn from that because I mean, in a way, this is splitting up your SummerSlam into like two shows too, because you're coming back right next week with payback. So give me yep. give me three hours here. Yeah, do a two hour kickoff, do a three hour show, and then do a three hour show next week. And I think everybody, nobody will, will complain about that. Uh, the Hurt Business come out after Lashley gets the pinfall. Um, they're celebrating. Then we see Baszler with Duke and Shafir speaking with Shane McMahon. 
And we come back, and in a commercial break, Cedric Alexander has lined up his first 24-7 title defense with Akira Tozawa. MVP's watching from the back. Tozawa poses in the corner while screaming ninja, prompting one of the ninjas to get on the apron, and this distracts Alexander so Tozawa can hit a spinning roundhouse kick. He goes to the top for the senton. Alexander gets out of the way. Neuralizer, lumbar check in a minute 23. So at this point, I'm thinking, okay, I can at least detect the story. Cedric was the odd man out, and all they, all the th- those three guys lost, and he comes out of this with a title. But before I could even write that down, Cedric turns around, and there's Shelton to hit pay dirt and pin this guy. So they were all losers tonight. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I don't know. Is this? Do you think this is leading to actually anything? Or was this just like stuff to fill a three-hour show? I think they are determined to get Shelton X amount of wins uh, this year. And that's where this falls into. I don't know. Eric and Dolph Ziggler will face off on Raw Underground next week. So we ha- they're going to have a whole uh, one-week training camp. In the brand new Underground. The brand new Underground. Inter- mm. I'm kind of interesting, or it is interesting that... They are keeping, I guess, with it being raw underground, that they didn't decide to do this concept on the pay-per-view. Right, right. It is raw underground. Not SummerSlam underground. You can't do that. No. So Marina Shafir is there, um, and she took on this woman where she hip-tossed her to the floor. John Cena told me that was uh, uh, Brandy Lauren. Oh, it was Brandy Lauren. Okay. Um, Did a hip-toss and then a cartwheel, and then she went... For either like a short Achilles lock or an ankle lock and was able to submit her. And yeah, this was our introduction of Marina Shafir in Raw Underground. But before she could celebrate, Nia Jax attacks her from behind and then delivers a knee to Jessamine Duke, prompting Shayna Baszler to stand up to her. They go to ring the bell and Nia Jax bails and kicks Shafir on the way out as the crowd of people without their masks chanted, she's scared. You know, I certainly um, wasn't sure if at any point Marina Shafir nor Jessamine Duke would ever um, make their main roster debuts. I mean, we haven't even seen them in NXT for quite some time. Uh, But if there was a concept to introduce them in a serious way, it would certainly be something like this. Quick matches that allow them to, like, you know, showcase their shoot backgrounds. And then um, they're in and out. And that's it. So... Um, we'll see how far they go with it. Um, I think it's a good way to start these two off. And I think to have, to give Shayna like an entourage at this point, will just only elevate her, her status on the show. Like two, you know, tough people that you can legitimately showcase as like tough guys doing backup. They don't have to run ropes. They don't have to do like any traditional wrestling thing. It'll be really good for those two. Uh, so we'll see how far they go with it. Yeah, I guess in this environment, I mean, it's not like NXT is doing house shows, which is what these two should be doing. And I mean, they haven't even been on NXT TV this whole time. So, I mean, I guess, but, you know, I'd be very hesitant to be throwing them into having to do matches on Raw because I I, I still feel they needed a lot of time in NXT. But maybe they're just here, you know, as backup for Shayna and doing these types of matches. You know, yeah, it's like it's this or it's like doing nothing and being in the crowd. So sure. maybe this is the better option. They just they should just keep them to doing these types of matches, though, so that they yeah. I mean, you can still play enforcer 
by just doing these matches, you know, like having them do like regular matches will just perhaps expose them. Uh, Fox is airing SummerSlam's hottest matches this Saturday at 4 p.m. If you uh, have a few hours free, uh, which I don't think anyone does this weekend. Montez Ford is back taking on Andrade. And Tom Phillips noted, it's not too often you see Tez like that because he's all serious way. And Joe adds, no, Tom, you never see Tez like that. Have you ever seen Tez like this before? There was a Topecon hero by Ford, and then he gets crotched on the turnbuckle and superplexed. Phillips says, so far, the poisoning doesn't seem to be affecting him, <laughs> which I thought was the most ridiculous line so far. But then Byron topped it by saying, it's like it's supercharged him. <laughs> yes. No one talks about the hidden effects that poisoning can actually have on you. If you get through the worst of it, it can actually be a great uh, benefit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. It's like, hey, why not? Uh, there's a Rana off the buckle by Ford. He shakes the ropes. Zelina Vega gets on the apron allowing Andrade to scale up, and this causes Vega to fall off and gets caught by Bianca Belair on the floor, and she drops her. Andrade is distracted by all of this and gets rolled up by Montez Ford in 305. So going into... <laughs> this is the perfect punctuation to this tag title program is the challengers losing going into their big title opportunity. Now that it's all done, I really do feel like it, it's been a really weak angle and um, with a really bad payoff. And it's just overall been a really weak feud. And um, I wish I could get excited about like the tag team division on Raw, but it just it continues to just be so weak. Yes. So we've seen them lose a non-title match. We saw Andrade lose to Dawkins last week, and then Andrade lose to Montez Ford this week. Well, the man was poisoned. He's got to win. I guess so. It supercharged them. Last segment was Shawn Michaels coming out, and they replay the speech from Ric Flair, and Shawn said he was watching last week crying like everybody else as Rick reminded us of the worst 31 days of his life laying on his deathbed. Orton does not have the gratitude for Flair like the rest of us. Flair was the greatest wrestler ever, and that's who Randy had as a mentor, and he wasn't appreciative of that fact. Orton is going to meet his justice on Sunday, and he doesn't know if it will be from a sweet chin music or a claymore, but Randy will see it coming. And all of a sudden, as Sean goes to leave, Randy pops up from behind, RKO, comes off the ropes, and punt kicks Shawn Michaels' head into Orlando. And Drew runs out, chases off Randy, and then checks on Sean. And Sean also lost his baseball cap here, and I've got to say, the transformation from Shawn Michaels, the heartbreak kid, to George Carlin is nearly complete. Might just take some graying, sure. Uh. He's He strikes me very much as like George Carlin-ish at this stage of the Shawn Michaels progression chart. Orton then returns, and Drew fights him off. He clotheslines him to the floor, runs him into the steps and the barricade, and Randy takes off. Drew apologizes to Shawn, who's... For taking the punt kick, Sean was like, I thought recovering too much. I feel like that. 
might have been intentional. And, and I only say that because I wonder if Sean will make an appearance on Sunday since he they did, teased it heavily that he would. Yeah. yeah, he did say like he doesn't know if it'll be uh, via Claymore or if it'll be Sweet Chin Music, like almost him threatening Randy that he's going to exact the revenge himself. So I wonder if that was intentional to show that he wasn't completely out. I would argue maybe don't do the punt then. Like, do something that's, like, close to it. Because the punt has just been so established. Like, that, that is the reason we don't have any of these guys on TV. They've all been gone. Like, Big Show, Christian, mm-hmm. Flair. Um, sure. So for, for Michaels to, like, not be out cold, um, it, it almost, like, kind of, uh, kind of degrades the, what they built up with, the, with this move. But, you know, he kind of, you know, he was obviously selling it, but he was conscious. Yeah. And... Orton comes back for one final RKO to Drew, and that allows Tom Phillips to go off the air saying that McIntyre never saw it coming. Yes, yes. So for once, Drew was actually laid out to close the show. Um, I like the closing angle. I mean, you know, Sean, like, cut a decent promo, um, and Randy came in with a surprise RKO, and then you had Drew come in. It was very textbook stuff. Uh, and I thought it overall came out well in, in what I think has been a really well-built feud. Yeah, I wouldn't I, I would say for both the Dominic angle tonight and with with this one, I didn't think either were uh, ahead of last week's angles, but fine for your go home segments. I think those are like the two leading programs and then to an extent, the, the women's stuff that they have going on. Um what did you think about it as, as a go-home show? Did this increase your interest at all for SummerSlam or just sort of remain where your interest level had been before tonight? Very neutral. I mean, in the mm-hmm. case of, like, you know, I, I agree with you. I think the, with the two programs, with um, uh, Orton and, and Drew and, and uh, Dominic and, and Seth Rollins, those, I, I think, had their peaks last week. And I was already up at that level. And neither segment this week did anything to really hinder it or uh, increase it. But in the case of, like, a... <laughs> Street Profits and Andrade and, um, uh, you know, Angel Garza, it definitely diminished it. I mean, I probably didn't care that much anyway to begin with, but seeing the punchline being what Zelina doing the one being the one to, to poison. I just, I just don't give a shit. I don't give a shit about Apollo Crews and MVP that to me was taken down a notch because they had a chance to increase it. And I don't think it was reached. Um, beyond that, what do we have Bailey and Banks and, Oscar, that's that. I'm still decently excited about that. Yeah, I, I would say like this show. It very much today feels like it is built around uh, the Drew and Randy. I think they've done a very good job with that. I'm I'm curious to like the Rollins Dominic stuff. I think has been pretty good. And seriously, like the number three thing it, for most, I think is the Thunderdome stuff. Sure. Yeah. Like those they, to me are your biggest factors of SummerSlam. Is what it feels like six days out. For me, it's like the entrances of um, certain people that we probably won't get to see. Um, like in in one, like Dunn talked about, you know, for somebody like The Fiend doing something kind of special with all the LED lights that are available there. So uh, I, that's probably going to be the big en- entrance you'll get to see at SummerSlam. Forum.postwrestling.com. Tonight's go-home edition of Raw generated a 4.16 on the forum. Paul from New Jersey kicks things off. If I could sum up tonight's show in one word, it would be bollocks. Retribution, Thunderdomes, interference all over the place, and GTV poison reveals. Just a lot going on. I can't say the show was boring, but I don't know how much of it was very good. 
Raw Underground feels kind of boring. I'm definitely glad it seems like Shayna is being built up and nothing like an iconic victory. Still nothing about the show got me hyped for Sunday. Four out of ten. Andrew from Cape Breton says, I finally figured out Retribution. Instead of a roving band of angry electricians, they're a roving band of angry editors and production people fed up with Kevin Dunn's camera cuts and shaking. Oh, I've, then they're baby faces. I, for one, welcome this assault. But just like the Alliance at Nexus before them, they didn't accomplish their goal tonight. Raw was okay, but still weird at points. Three matches had a double jobber entrance where both participants were currently in the ring, which I'm not a fan as it always downplays their importance. They're not stars as they don't need an entrance. As for Raw Underground, I do think it can work, but I'm annoyed with its lack of structure. I'm really excited for the return of the ROH peer title, and maybe it's just me getting old, but I like establishing rules and structure in particular match types. Raw Underground can be a good way to introduce people, as we saw tonight with Marina Shafir. I never thought much of her as a wrestler, but I thought she looked great. Five Shawn Michaels bald spots out of ten. I will predict, and granted it, they haven't been taped yet, there will not be one match in the pure title tournament that is going to end with (laughs) Todd Sinclair yelling, that was sick, that was sick, as they roll to the floor and just hit people. Yeah, like... I don't think that will be a sufficient out. Is Shane taking bets for these matches, or or, or are these just, like, all exhibitions? Like, is he... It it should be revealed that he's, like... Making making bank off of the, these people, and they're not getting paid for this. Well, what, yeah, what's the incentive of somebody to actually take the fight? It's got to be money, right? I mean, they they have not established anywhere near that level of detail, nor do I really expect it. But I do feel like to um, to the point made there by Andrew is that it is something like it is a different environment to try and get people over in, and I just feel that. Just doing the one non-finish tonight, it just tells me that they. I, I just I think that that's such a crux, uh, a crutch that they use everywhere else. That this is one thing where you can start it fresh and not have to do the silly non-finishes uh, that we always see. Um, yeah, but we'll we'll see what they do. It's ultimately trying to get some of these guys over, and maybe it'll work. Yep. Um, you're up next. Oh no, it's me, McGuire. Can you believe the thumb in the eye is legal in Raw Underground? This is crazy. I couldn't stop laughing during these segments. I felt like Brandon from New Jersey. Shane yelling, that's it, that's it, could be my call of the year. How long before we get a DQ finish in an Underground match? It seems you guys don't like that they continue to make Bailey look weak, but I think it works for the story they're telling. She's the big old boat anchor weighing Sasha down, and it makes for a myriad of possibilities at SummerSlam. It seems they've merged the 24-7 joke division. I mean, that totally works. If she also wasn't leading an entire division with a championship that really like you have the champion lose enough and the entire division just looks stupid. And, and the next person who tries to like challenge for that belt is, is going to make that belt. Like it's not going to feel important because it's a belt that's meaningless. Is that the story with Apollo Cruz? Because look, look how many times this guy's lost in the last four weeks. Yeah. I, you know, I that's a, that's a baby face that's being booked the same way to lose all these these non-title scenarios. Um, I mean, with with Bailey, I mean, that's not even a story that they're really hitting all that all that much uh, on, although it is something you could go to coming out of SummerSlam, depending on what they do. Uh, it seemed that they've merged the 24-7 joke division with the actual cruiserweights. Too bad because I like the interactions with MVP, Cedric, and the rest. It would all be better without that belt attached to it. Well, Shelton Benjamin is not a cruiserweight, so I don't know if it's uh, going to be there in the cruiserweight division. We got a Noah from Vaughn who says, This show was quite boring. 
Seemed like every match had a screwy finish. Why these legends continue to come out to try and reason with Randy Orton <laughs> is kind of dumb. Logically, why wouldn't Drew or anybody come out with Sean to protect him from getting attacked? Well, Sean want, wanted him to give him space. Sean really should have just sent in a video. Yeah, he really. Retribution still sucks and Raw Underground still can't tell the time. Each week they promoted it to start at 10 p.m. And yet each week by 10 p.m. the segment is finished. How or why does this happen? Brutal go-home show and the DNC convention and NBA playoffs. I would not be surprised to see this as the least watched Raw of all time. What do you think? Um, yeah, I would say that, you know, that's, you know, the NBA playoffs, um, and to, to, yeah, to an effect, like when it comes to the election coverage ramping up, I do feel that is going to like, that was a a factor when it came to WWE numbers in 2016. And I think that this, this particular run up to the election, you're going to see similar, like where cable news is going to be exploding. So uh, that'll be interesting to look at Tuesday to see what effect, especially, um, well, both both have for sure. And uh, that is it. So thank you, everybody, for your feedback. Way and I are going to be back Tuesday night, rewind away, chatting Royal Rumble 2001. This features uh, Kurt Angle defending the WWF Championship against Triple H. We've got uh, Drew Carey on this show promoting some improv show. Was it improv? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, he does. Who's lying? Uh, we've got that. We've got Chris Benoit versus Chris Jericho in a ladder match. We've got the Dudleys taking on Edge and Christian. And the Royal Rumble match. The Royal Rumble match. So we will be going back to January of 2001, looking a lot uh, uh, at the news stories and headlines from that particular time. What an interesting year this would be in wrestling history. And at that time, where the WWF was where WCW was, where ECW is, lots to talk about on that show. Um, Given the fact that you did not immediately remember the improv tie-in, does that suggest you have not watched the Royal Rumble yet? I've started the show. Okay, you have started. Uh, Will you go enjoy the Royal Rumble? We will be talking about that Tuesday. You can still leave feedback at forum.postwrestling.com. And a reminder, uh, we will not be having Rewind to Dynamite on Wednesday night, although we may be dropping something uh, in this free feed in its place. So uh, keep your eyes and ears peeled for that. But Rewind to Dynamite will be running Saturday night uh, here for everybody as we go through the Saturday night edition of AEW. It'll be kind of different. And yeah, what's the update on uh, TSN for Canadians? TSN is airing it at 10 p.m. on Saturday on TSN 2. So if you're in Canada, it would be TakeOver should be over by then. So in theory, you could watch TakeOver and then watch Dynamite. Cool. All right. So that's what's happening, everybody. Thank you for listening. You can check out postwrestling.com or postwrestlingcafe.com. And we will speak with you Tuesday night. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line. 
prop or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 